Hop, hop, hooray. Nordstrom Rack's got sweet deals on everything Easter, which is Sunday, March 31st. Get to Nordstrom Rack now and save on Kate Spade, New York, Two-Faced, Steve Madden, Calvin Klein, and more from just $30. Score great brands and great prices on Easter looks for everyone, plus spring decor, gifts, and all kinds of deliciousness. Rack up the deals today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. everybody it's your big strong but in the inside a deep emotional core having bruiser holden mcneely and i'm your emotionally distant yet beautiful wizard jake young <laughs> oh my god wizard will you marry me i will but only for your mind no! <laughs> i'm gonna go beat stuff up about it and then cry about it later in private hi everybody i can't wait to do this episode because this episode's on the matrix there is no spoon yeah, have you ever done nitrous before, Jake? <laughs> Dude, I fucking love wearing vinyl jackets <laughs> and hating the government. Oh no, I can't find my pacifier and I'm late for the raid. Yo, bro, I'll sell you this mini disc for 20 bitcoins. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Jake, where the hell were you when that Matrix came out? Because I actually ha- I actually can close my eyes and am transported back to the movie theater when I first saw <laughs> the Matrix. I really can. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a fucking it is a mind bl- exploder. Uh what I remember specifically was uh I think the 1998 World C- uh not World C- geez, Super Bowl had like a really like cryptic ad for this movie with just all these like insane like disparate shots of like people in trench coats and guns and explosions and just like a simple what is the matrix <laughs> and then like that was it i like yeah. there was not a huge kind of tell all uh ad campaign for this so yeah uh going into it i was i had no expectations i was just like i, I like action movies i i think there was punching and i think the i think the vague ads suggested there be punching and then in the theater seeing like the philosophical like twists, the giant goo pods, the robots, like it was it was an intense experience. Way crazier than I thought it would be. And yeah, I do remember it feeling like a last minute rush to get to the theater like, oh shit, the news is out. This is the movie everyone needs to see. It was like, uh, you know, yeah, it just kind of happened to us. And then, you know, I ran out to the movie theater. I remember seeing it. And I remember when the credits hit and just standing up with a big smile on my face, just being like, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, because what? It was 99. I graduated high school. I'm dating myself like crazy right now in 01. So um, yeah. 
yeah, that was like perfect timing for me. I also remember once it came out on DVD later, like watching the shit out of it. I think I probably saw it twice in the theater. And then um, when it came out on DVD, I feel like it was around the time, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm misjudging this, but it was around the time when like DVDs and like flat screen TVs and like high def was like the big Medi- thing. Medium depth. Yeah, we were at depth. medium depth. Where it was like, oh my god, look how good this looks in the surrounds. Like, I went to my like rich friend's house who had like a cool basement rec room, and he, rich, we, no, that opening uh, Warner Brothers logo that morphs into the cyber like uh, code yes. rainfall is the most rich friends flat screen yes. basement image that yes. I had ever seen in my entire and life. We experimented with drugs and we watched the movie mm-hmm. and it was so like, whoa, it's so good. It's we're like, is, it's the perfect movie. It's the perfect movie. <laughs> you know what it was? It was the first movie that as like a nerdy, angry, like anime, comic book, mm-hmm. fucking like Im- soaked uh, teenager. It was the first movie that felt made for me specifically. Yes. Like it wasn't like I wasn't picking up an old movie that my parents suggested. I wasn't just like watching a blockbuster movie like The Matrix was made specifically. If you look at pictures of the Wachowskis at the time, fucking jean shorts, backwards baseball hats, like like 90s ear piercings uh-huh. and shitty goatees, like they were made for nerds. And and it was like every movie after that had those like just gross dilapidated buildings mm-hmm. and like rainy New York-esque streetscapes and like everything Kung just fu f- no, the everything looked had- dirty yeah on gun like crazy everybody's just like doing flips and shooting guns and yeah that was uh that was actually one of the mo- like whether or not the fashion like stayed relevant which it doesn't look stated as fuck <laughs> whether or not the music isn't painfully dated this the matrix is the most 1999 thing I've ever seen. Like, if you want, like, at some point, my children will be like, Papa, what was the USA like before the 9-11? I'll be like, here's a DVD copy of The Matrix. There's all you need to know. (laughs) Like, it was so, like, perfectly encapsulated what that era was in terms of, like, attitude and fashion and culture. But what the real, the real influence was the fact that they bothered to have full contact like kind of fight scenes because even up until that point like you know there was like Jean-Claude Van Damme kind of stuff but still a punch would just be like you know that a B cross shot where you can tell that the guy's like eight meters away right. and the other guy's just going like Ur! but in the matrix like every single like pit pat fit pat it was like all very visceral. Yes. I now I do want to take a second really quickly right up top to just immediately say we're we're almost making it sound like these were original ideas that the Wachowskis had. By the way, too, if it's Wachowskis, Jake and I don't know. Right before this right before the <laughs> podcast started, I was like, Jake, wait, is it Wachowski or Wachowski? Because I've been saying Wachowski. I'm just gonna follow your lead and say Wachowski so we don't drive each other insane. And do not get angry with us. I watched a lot of behind the scenes uh footage. There's a great documentary called The Matrix Revisited. And uh, hearing and seeing uh, producers and studio executives and, you know, editors and film crews and actors all respond to the Wachowskis like they're these like super wunderkins that had like a gateway into an infinite imagination zone is like kind of telling because they're literally just referencing like comic books and anime and kung fu movies like i'm the- probably going to be saying kaka ka crossover several times in this and that's literally just yeah. each time that they ripped an idea off um <laughs> so much of the onset footage is of the two of them uh just like 
go like literally trying to explain to the crew and the cast and the producers just like what they're trying to do. You know, they're like, you know, so then he goes down, he's like, whoosh. And then the punch goes, pa, pa. And then the camera's going to go, because, it, you know, the, these shots, these, these kind of themes, these, these visuals, which were so familiar to nerds, uh, these just older movie executives and proper actors just had no reference for. They literally showed Joel Silver, the hotshot producer that got signed on, I don't know how the fuck, magically to make to help them make the uh, the Matrix. They just showed him the Ghost in the Shell, the original anime, and said, we want to make that. That's literally what, like yeah. how this was conceived to, to speak towards. But there are so many people who were like, oh, they ripped this off, they ripped that off, and we'll kind of get into that. And I think we should start with just talking about like some of the backstory stories of the Wachowskis. Mm-hmm. Um, now, formerly, uh, it is uh, Lawrence. Two nerds from Chicago, yes. and now they're ladies. Yes, now they're ladies. Lawrence now is referred to as uh, Lana, um, is Lana, rather, and uh, Andrew, uh, Paul, Andy Wachowski is now Lily Wachowski. Lana and Lily were born in 65. Lana was born in 65. Lily was born in 67 in Chicago. That um, makes them, like, in their early 30s uh, when The Matrix was made. Mother was a nurse. Uh, and a painter. Father was a businessman. And um, father was a businessman. Yeah, I know, right? It's like a total. Yeah, it's just a it's straight up a Springsteen song. Um, they also have two sisters, Julie and Laura. But they uh, went to a performing arts school called Whitney Young, or performing arts specialized school. It was performing arts and sciences, Whitney Young High School. They played a lot of D and D crossover. <laughs> Lana went to Bard College in New York. Lily went to Emerson in college in Boston. So they Very obviously creative were schools. Pretty and pretty smart to be able to get into those schools and um, both of them dropped out. Were they smart or was their father a business man? Oh. Um, Liberal arts colleges are a sham. Don't go unless you absolutely have to. And the weird thing was they were wor- they were run- working um, they-, they ran a house painting and construction business but on the side they were writing for Marvel Comics Razorline imprint. Uh, it was a Clive Barker s- uh, series of comic books and I think they might have had some correspondence with Clive Barker because he was there as a kind of an overseer of the material. Already we're getting into the deeper influences and the yes. themes because Clive Barker, his work uh, Nightmare on Elm Street yes. uh, is especially as well as Nightbreed, which Nightbreed. is a comic they worked on. And they worked on Hellraiser. Yeah, Hellraiser. All have to do with like alternate dimensions where like the inner uh, ne- like the inner truth of human identity is allowed to run free. And tight-fitting black leather, too. Yeah. And even just aesthetics like that. But Ecto-Kid was the most crazy one. They worked on Ecto-Kid for... Uh, that was a Clive Barker mm-hmm. uh, uh, comic. It ran from 93 to 94. It starred Dexter Mungo. Child. Wait, really? <laughs> yes. I didn't actually get into Ecto-Kid. Dude, Ecto-Kid is the main. If you had told me... De- Dude, you gotta look up the adventures of Dexter Mungo. Dexter Mungo. He's the child of a mortal and a ghost. And one eye sees the real world, and the other eye sees the interdimensional ectosphere. It's a dimension similar to Earth, but with a number of crucial differences. All the regular Earth buildings are in the same places, but have a crusted and coral-covered appearance. And it's popular. It just has a. It's full of like creatures from myths and legends and nightmares. So again, like Nightbreed had a similar deal where there was like a city of monsters and goblins that also may be represented. There's things about human nature. There are things about human identity that are not readily accepted by the outside world, especially in the 80s, that maybe through an analogy where, like, there's an underground 
city area yeah. where you're allowed to be yourself kind of came through. It's an analogy for being LGBTQ+. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and the idea of, of there's a real world and then there's like the fa- you cool know, the world. Other, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and so, you know, this is immediately where, where I'm seeing the influence, right? right? And so they're working on that for a while and they write a script for a movie called uh, Assassins, which actually did come out in 1994. Uh, I believe it was 94. Maybe they wrote it in 94 with uh, Antonio Banderas and Sylvester Stallone. Now, did you ever watch Assassins? I watched it on a plane in <laughs> Hebrew. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and like, I remember watching and being like, this isn't, it, it was a shock to find out that the Wachowskis had uh, written it, and it turns out... Yes, it was fully rewritten by a guy named Brian uh, Hel- Helgeland. Now, this is essentially when they um, their script gets totally rewritten. Now, I have to say, first of all, their script included... Uh, I don't... They must be amazing in a, in a pitch room, because yes. their script deal was for Assassins, Bound, and The Matrix. So they got, like, with selling this stri- script, they were able to get some kind of deal worked out to get two at least two more scripts out of them for Warner Brothers. And that's um, that's like the that is the thing I'm walking away from from looking up the making of this movie is that the Wachowskis were not like the most original voices in the room, but they were finally able to break through to this old Hollywood machine. All of the cool shit that they just were not aware of. Yeah, right. They were able to just be like, hey, guys, here's the news. This is what the kids are into. Yeah. What if instead of just like a bunch of people holding A-B conversations with like some fancy sets going on, we use CGI uh, graphics and, you know, camera techniques to just have insane image after insane image. And instead of like shooting on a bunch of cameras for a month and then editing it later, we just know what shots we want, get those shots and edit it into a complete movie. (laughs) And um also, though, uh, so for Assassins, they wrote the script, but then it got completely rewritten. They kind of are learning the the Hollywood machine. They say, you know what? We, we're not doing any more of these unless we get to make them. So Bound was their next movie. They already uh, they had already kind of made the deal for that. And, um, yeah, they they, even, they said that, yeah, it gave them the perspective they should become directors or they will never survive as writers in this town. And it, to be a writer in Hollywood is is a pretty gruesome uh, process if it has anything to do with, like, wanting to have any kind of control over your work. So they made their directing debut with Bound. Um, Jennifer Tilly, uh, G- Gina Gershon. And we were talking about this right before. Like, I made the joke that it, it was kind of like I never saw Bound, but, like, it was always, like, one of those movies I'd see on the wall and be, like, uh, at a blockbuster <clears> and be like, like if I got that movie, I could probably go home and jerk <laughs> off to it. But uh, I'll just hold get... it, sweetie. What do you what do you think? What <laughs> Nothing. Do you Nothing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's like I'll, hold, I'll... and they got the Super Nintendo games are over here. Over here. Where where are you? All right, mom. I'll get Street Fighter Two again. Also, I have a Sega Genesis. Okay, <laughs> Sonic rules. Mario drools. Oh, that's nice, dear. I'm happy you're a nice boy who never touches his genitals. <laughs> so where am I from? What is this accent? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's some scary. Like uh, below Wisconsin, something. <laughs> so, anywho, uh, this movie comes out. It's like it is, but it's actually. A, a, I it won Best go, Kiss at the MTV yes, Movie Awards. It won That's Best what Kiss. I remember. I kind of want to go back and watch it. Kind of. There's some interesting stuff going on in here because they, they, you know, they wanted to write a story about how one might see a woman on the street and make assumptions about her sexuality, but how those assumptions might be wrong. They wanted to write a, a noir crime drama with two strong female leads and show like lesbian sex in a in a movie and make it 
it like like as like realistic and you know not like a gimmick but make it you know like legitimize that sort of thing in film the movie isn't a technique i think like the catch is like the movie features characters that are in a lesbian relationship but the movie is technically not about a lesbian relationship no, exactly so therefore it's yeah that's not mm. like the gimmick of the film and you know of course shitty studios were like well if you change one of the characters to a man i'll definitely make this you know <laughs> and, and like they had to fight for that um and uh yeah they, they you know jennifer tilly describes it uh, the part as the best role she ever had um a woman that's underestimated by all the men around her who has to play the game um and crossover the wachowskis drew from Frank Miller's Sin City as a major influence. So you already see how comic books are just invading their film choices. Like they, they are comic book writers that got to make movies, and it's finally happening again with like uh, with stuff like uh, the Millarverse. Like uh, it reminded me a lot of the Kingsman watching it again uh-huh. for the first time because uh, it, it's the major watching the major. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because uh, a lot of the tricks, a lot of the tonal like. Uh, the 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 tonal like patterns the 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 rhythm of it is very comic booky like you could tell while watching the Matrix where the splash pages are if you were writing a comic yes exactly and and and, and where the and all the yeah the big moments and then the, and the pacing is very comic booky very yeah. comic booky um and so yeah the, the the film ends up being a huge success even though it was filmed with a very small budget um and you know even the D, the director of photography resigned under the budget constraints it was shot in 38 days it was one it was that big first project that big prove yourself to hollywood project and then in the movie ended up being a really big success for the studio and that definitely set the stage for allowing them to make the matrix now that said they still had to fight their asses off to be the directors of the matrix because it was obviously going to be a gigantor budget Mm -hmm. it was going to be it it also is just a crazy story with like all these elements of philosophy and uh you know psychology and and just image just imagery and shots that they that the the hollywood suits just did not even they could not understand what they were holding in their hands they literally told the wachowskis like we know what we have is cool, but we don't know why. Now, I wish I had more detail on this, but I think a big part of them being able to do to direct The Matrix was that they got producer Joel Silver on board. Now, Joel Silver, I could he literally made every he was the producer of every movie. I uh, say, not, right? Not like every, movie. every movie, right? He's, he was a uh, <laughs> first of all, he is hearing him talk uh, on camera and he is like. He might be just like the archetype from uh, Tom Cruise's character in Tropic Thunder. <laughs> he's just this like big Jewish guy that's just overly excitable. Uh, he's produced a lot of like action movies, Lethal including- Weapon series, Die Hard series, Forty Eight Hours, The Warriors, who- Predator, who- Predator, who framed Roger Rabbit. And honestly, I had to stop there, but there are so he- no. Do you know the the fucking creepiest thing? What uh, when he was in college, he helped invent Ultimate Frisbee. That's amazing. He's in the Hall of Fame as one of the creators of the game of ultimate frisbee so so, so, it's it's like the weirdest fact so he has a marijuana addiction as well (laughs) we can probably assume that um so yeah it was definitely a bit of a risk though still for the warner for warner brothers what uh what helped the what helped the warner brothers suits like finally green light them was that uh they the wachowskis and joel silver uh got Comic book artist Steve Scrochi? Scro- Steve, I believe Scrochi. He worked on Ecto Kid, Cable, and The Amazing Spider Man, and also Jeff Darrow, um, who is the artist on Hard Boiled, among other things. Jeff they- Darrow is to this day a legendary comic book artist. Uh, the the style is like 
just so complex and intricate designs that almost like the chaos of them becomes serene when you look hmm. at them on the page. Very but, cool. But uh, Scrochi uh, made a 600 panel yes. uh, storyboard shot of the script. by shot comic book storyboard of the entire script. And again, this is so comic booky. but like looking at Scrochi's uh, work, it is such like a 90s comic book <laughs> in terms of style like it's something out of image it's like very Liefeldian very uh very uh Todd McFarlane in fact this is how much of a 90s comic book guy Steve Scrooge is uh he's the co-creator of X-Man <laughs> yeah. X-Man is the young cable who had like the psycho powers during Age of Apocalypse uh-huh. like he's he is a child of that era and so are the Wachowskis <laughs> that like dark 90s comic book height led directly to the matrix it is an unbroken line so this wins them over the original proposed budget 60 million dollars and the studio says okay fine but you got to shoot it in australia so we can just squeeze the last little bit out of this and budget. joel silver wanted them to shoot in australia not only for the budget for, for the fact that the suits are a world away yes so they have absolute freedom huh and uh to make their dream reality they had a crack team of uh of people including mm-hmm. effects artist John Gaeta, who was uh, a revolutionary who, you know, from day one, like, he started working on getting the bullet time system to work. So, yeah, he, but at the time, though, he actually, uh, like the Wachowskis, he had to fight his ass off to get him to, to get the role of um, effects, director. effects director, right? Yeah, yeah, of, of the film. Um, he went to NYU's Tisch School, uh, uh, the acclaimed um, theater school. He got to start as a, a PA on SNL, um, or a production assistant, rather. Um, he worked on What Dreams May Come, but this was actually his big first solo effects supervision project. And the way that he got it was, he essentially, uh, got, he, what happened was he got the script. He's working for Mainex, main yeah, Mainex. Mainex visual effects. He gets the script for the Matrix and he goes to to the effects producer Manex or Manex. I think it's Manex. And he pleads with him. He says, "Please let me work on this." And he and he um and he essentially sealed the deal, kind of like how the Wachowskis did by jumping the gun, um, pun intended, and creating the prototype for Bullet Time. Yeah, you can actually uh, see the footage in the documentary, and it's the first thing ever officially captured in the Bullet Time rig is a literal trash fire. (laughs) Yeah. A trash fire in a barrel. Uh, um, and we'll oh. get more into bullet time uh, in the future, but, but also let's talk about some of these other big players. I right? will I will just say, Kukuka crossover, <laughs> uh, Gaeta referred to his influence for how time and the effects worked in the Matrix uh, with uh, Katsuhiro Otomo, creator of Akira. For artistic inspiration for bullet time, I would credit Otomo Katsuhiro, who co-wrote and directed Akira, which definitely blew me away, along with director Michelle Gondry. His music videos experimented with a different type of technique mm-hmm. called view morphing. And it was just part of the beginning of uncovering the creative approaches toward using still cameras for special effects. Our technique was significant, different, significantly different because we built it to move around objects that were themselves in motion. And we were also able to create slow motion events that virtual cameras could move around rather than the static action in Gondry's music videos with limited camera moves. So, yeah, and, and we'll, we'll get deeper into bullet time. But I also want to talk about some of these other guys. I, uh, they hired Yuen Wu Ping as well. 
well. Oh, and really quick about Akira. I'm sure the Wachowskis were like, yeah, <laughs> because they were also insanely, like heavily influenced by Akira for the making of um, The Matrix. So so they hired a choreographer, uh, Yuen Wu-Ping. Uh, Yuen Wu-Ping, who is a fight choreographer and a director in Hong Kong. Yes. One of the most successful Hong Kong directors of all time. Directed Drunken Master, Iron Monkey, and it was actually Fist of Legend that inspired the Wachowskis mm. to hire him. Um, loved his choreography. It would Think also- of every major kung fu star after Bruce Lee, everyone from uh, Sammo Hung to, uh, you know, uh, Donnie Yen to Jet Li to obviously Jackie Chan. Wu-Ping worked with them all. Like, I mean, he is the guy. He is. He was the guy for Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. He was the guy for the Kill Bills um, mm-hmm. after uh, The Matrix and everything. So he is like it when it comes to that kind of just amazing sort of choreography so and and he was really he was really great he he really wanted to work with each actor's strength and i love that each of them had a strength again like a comic book or a video game mm-hmm. and we should introduce our actors here too keanu reeves lawrence fishburne carrie ann moss hugo weaving and joe pantoliano just to name a few um and our star as our stars so so he would work with each of them so reeves reeves was uh his strength was diligence like mm-hmm. he was just so dedicated and diligent about the choreography and everything. Fishburne was uh, res- powerful, powerful, resilient. That was his resilience was what he worked on with him. And uh, Moss, uh, he worked with her feminine grace and really kind of uh, uh, focused on that. And they did a lot of their own stunt work. And um, can I can I tell you a hey, did you know fact? Pull, 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 please, Jake. In 1993, a young Carrie Ann Moss was cast in a Canadian crime drama called Matrix. Oh shit. It lasted for one season. That's amazing. I can't find clips of it online. It It, seemed bad. It must have been like actually about the math of the (laughs) Matrix that was like really boring. It was about a former hitman named like Johnny Matrix who had to like make up for his crimes. I bet she was just like, oh, not this fucking shit again. (laughs) Uh, Oh, well, I mean, okay. If we go into the actors and their training, this was months of work. (sighs) Yes. Six six months, I believe. Four months. months, Four uh, months. Either way. Going into it, uh, you know, all these actors had no combat training and, you know, they were working with, you know, UN was used to working with kind of Hong Kong stuntmen who had been doing this their entire lives. And these are like the making of the Matrix is fraught with injuries. Yes. Like uh, left and right. Uh, Even going into it, uh, Keanu Reeves had a few, a a Spinal cervical fusion. Yeah, fusion of his cervical spine, uh, which was giving him leg paralysis. He had to get neck surgery to to deal with it. Um, and uh, yeah, he and he. But again, the diligence, the dedication. He insisted on training during his recovery, so they had him just working on like light kicks and punches. Um, but you'll notice he doesn't kick a lot in the film, and it was actually because they just re- straight up ran out of time and uh, weren't able to give him as much focus on that uh, that Most, element. Mo- it's it's the movie was shot in a very bizarre order specifically to work around all the injuries that they, were happening. They had to reschedule a lot. Uh, Hugo Weaving needed hip surgery from the training process. Uh, so, yeah, and even... Carrie, uh, during the lobby scene, her leg Carrie Ann Moss scene. yeah, hurt her leg real badly and they didn't know if they were able to continue. And that's why it wasn't uh, in, all done in one shot and it yeah. really bummed her out. She was like really... And that's another cool thing to hear too is that these actors really gave everything to these stunts and to this crazy new style of fight because again Which, uh, if you remember the wire the the floating wire stunts and everything involved i mean this is not like your standard fight choreography we're, yeah we're not even talking about the actual the the production was fraught with injuries from the actual stunt team because you look at the movie and these people are getting thrown against walls and all these like high powered wire and pneumatics are going off 
there's actually it was kind of uh, shocking to see uh, in the behind the scenes footage that you know there's all these uh, cool shots when the agents punch someone that they go flying and they land thud on the ground and there was no pads like you see them land it's because there's a giant like team of people just yanking people across the room yeah and they fucking land on their fucking heads and backs um very scary stuff I, no, a lot of stunt people got their shit wrecked during the filming of this movie i have it somewhere oh oh uh reeves stunt double ended up with broken ribs knees <laughs> and a dislocated shoulder which was during the um subway scene where neo slams agent smith into the ceiling um the in the pod scene uh oh oh well this is different this is a more a reeves dedication thing but in the pod scene reeves lost 15 pounds and shaved his entire body so it's <laughs> it was such a revolutionary thing that they got the these Hong Kong action guys to actually shoot uh, contact fight scenes as opposed to, you know, what we talked about before. And, you know, it's like, oh, what a crazy thing. Why didn't they do that before? And learning about the filming of this movie, it's because people get their shit wrecked. Yeah, You can't just have these movies where, like, million-dollar actors that the entire movies are based on you know, you watch a, a Jackie Chan movie and they do all the bloopers at the yeah, end. And, and you he's see just his shit wrecked. And he is a trained as fuck professional. Like yeah. not just an actor, not just Bill and Ted. You know? There's just there were just major wipeouts left <laughs> and right on this thing. I did I so I, I actually didn't catch the making of. Did they show any of that? Uh yeah, in, no, it's like brutal because yeah. like because A, even when it goes right, like seeing someone take the same hit over and over again while they're trying to get the take right is is insane and then like there's just these moments where people are just like and action quack crack flump oh oh no oh no cut 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 and everyone just gets real quiet because like everyone knows like like this person has five minutes to get back up otherwise we're about to lose like millions of dollars right right so so not only did they have to work on their bodies jake but they also had to work on the mind. That's right. There was required reading this for all is, of the uh, actors. This is where I. This is where I'm gonna get like cranky. <laughs> this is where I'm gonna get cranky. So, and I'm really gonna try my best to explain some of this stuff. But this is like real indulgent <laughs> stuff for a, for at the end of the day, a pretty ridiculous action movie. So here's the required reading. The big one is a simulacra and simulation. I don't even know if I'm saying that mm. right. Actually, you'll notice it. It makes an appearance in the film when he goes to pull out the disc that he's the hiding. In the disc, book. His illegal mini disc it's collection. In his, yeah, it's in his book. And by the way, again, mini disc, dude. Like how 90s can you be? <laughs> I remember my 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 goofy friend got a mini disc player. He was like, this is the new thing, man. I'm just like, I don't think it is. <laughs> it doesn't even seem to be easier than my disc, man. It seems more complicated. Anyways, um, uh, it was required uh, reading for the, the principal cast and crew. This is a 1981 philosophical treatise by Jean Baudrillard. Baudrillard. It seeks to examine the relationships among the reality, symbols, and society. I could kind of get on with it, especially where we are now with the internet and like memes and and all that kind of stuff, like symbols on symbols on symbols on symbols, some things, an image that means like eight different things now. It's so far beyond. Think about how when you need to save something on your computer, like on some programs, it's still a floppy disk. Yeah. And how you. Documents are actually saved is so far removed from magnetic media, but like still the symbol remains. 
uh, you know, and or any 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 kind of cultural signifier, like, like yeah, like a politi- like a, a politician wearing a cowboy hat, like it's just every like everything Banksy does. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> <laughs> like here, this McDonald's logo is now means like uh, yeah. you know, being under capitalist rule. You know what I'm saying? Like it's sort of like the symbol is no longer even attached to what it, its original meaning was. So simulacra uh, is are copies that depict things that either had no original to begin with. Or that no longer have an original, right? The the one that comes to mind right off the top of my head is that like shitty frog that like all right people use. Oh yeah, 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 right. Like, cause it's like that came from something somewhere, but it's like so far removed. No, from- no, it came from Matt Fury, independent cartoonist in a comic book called Boys Club. Okay, so yeah, and it, and and then it gets pushed and pushed mm-hmm. and pushed, and now you don't even know where the symbol came from, but now it it comes to mean something else. Now that now even the frog emoji represents like an entire Another swath of political thought that like is. So far removed. Totally. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's kind of like that is what I perceived it as, at least. And then simulation is imitation of the operation of a real-world process or system over time. So Baudrillard claims that our current society has replaced all reality and meaning with symbols and signs, and that human experience is a simulation of reality. It's pretty simple, Jake. The simulacra that Baudrillard refers to are the significations and symbolism of culture and media that construct perceived reality. Reality, the acquired understanding by which our lives and shared existences and are rendered legible. Baudrillard believes that society has become so saturated with the simulacra and our lives are so saturated with the con- uh, constructs of society that all meaning was being rendered meaningless by being infinitely mutable. Baudrillard claims this phenomenon, the procession of simulacra, Jake. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, what? I don't understand what the problem is. I and mean, some of the actors had a problem picking this up, uh, well, interestingly here's enough. the thing, though, is like, I, I get, like, kind of where they're coming from with it, but in the end, like, that the Matrix, like, it doesn't really get into it. In fact... Um, oh, yeah, Baldrial, by the way, said that the Matrix misunderstands <laughs> and distorts his work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, uh, I, I read his uh, obituary, and, like, he hated it whenever the people were like, oh, you're the Matrix philosophy guy. He's like, no, I'm fucking not. Uh, he actually said uh, the most... Im- this is Baudrillard talking about the Matrix film. Uh, the most embarrassing part of the film... I'm sorry, you're going to have to do this in a French accent. The most embarrassing part of the film is the new problem posed by the simulation is That is German, but keep going. ...with its own platonic <laughs> treatment. Uh, the Matrix is surely the kind of film that The Matrix would produce if it had to make a movie about The Matrix. <laughs> <laughs> I love that quote. That's amazing. And Which is, makes- by the way, what my first stoner thought when I walked out of the movie is like... Oh, it's so perfect. How do you figure? How do you shut down anyone who thi- who finally figures out there's a matrix? You make the people watch a movie about the matrix. So if anyone breaks through, they're like, "No, you idiot! You just saw that in a movie." Ah, uh, that's a, that's kind of amazing, though. Reeves Reeves was uh, all, uh, Keanu Reeves in particular was also required to read Out of Control: The New Biology of Machines, Social Systems, and the Economic World. This must have been so much fun to prep for this role. It was a 1994 book by Kevin Kelly, and uh, where it states that intelligence. Is is not organized in a centralized structure, but much more like a beehive of small, simple components. Kelly applies this view to bureaucratic organizations, intelligent computers, as well as the human brain, and then also introducing evolutionary psychology, which is uh, pretty self-explanatory. It takes uh, evolutionary biology and cognitive psychology and puts them together to kind of try to understand human nature. Um, also, they all had to know... Every, all the details of the matrix of the of the actual System. concept of the matrix um, all the actors had to be able to coherently explain every little detail of it um, before they could even start filming which is like so 
I mean, there's I will- an amazing, uh, there's actually an amazing uh, clip in, again, the Matrix Revisited documentary where it's uh, the scene where uh, the Sentinels are like climbing into the Nebuchadnezzar and, you know, you don't know whether or not uh, Neo has actually gotten out in time. Uh, before they have to hit the EMP and like Trinity is like over him being like, I know you're okay because I knew I would like, I was told I would fall in love with the one. And like, so they cut to the behind the scenes and it's Keanu Reeves sitting in that dentist chair being like, so wait, how did, how does she know? Cause like if, you know, she doesn't get confirmation and like, it's the Wachowskis being like, no, because it's fate. It's like, no, no. But like, but does she get like a confirmation? Like, how does the machine tell her that's okay to unplug me? And there's <laughs> like, Keanu, it doesn't matter. It's the power of love. <laughs> that's so funny. So uh, I, I definitely want to talk a little bit too, before we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of this film, um, a little bit about uh, the design and the music. Um I, w- I would like to say uh, uh, Simon Whiteley is credited with uh, creating that green code look. Oh. And um, I just want to say that because that green code look is like huge. Like it's just everywhere now. And that didn't really exist before. I mean, it was obviously modeled after what like, you know, old computer text and green everything. Green phosphor comp- monochrome computer. Monitors. Exactly. Um, and by the way, he did the visual effects for Moulin Rouge and concept art for the Lego movie. So he's had a really oh, cool career. Um, he wanted it to be green like early computers. And then he mixed up all a bunch of different characters. He mixed a half with Kana, which is a Japanese type character, mixed with uh, Western Latin letters and numerals, but also like mirrored them and did weird stuff with them um obviously ghost in a shell was a big influence on this um with its opening title sequence and um yeah uh and then owen patterson was the production designer he was an australian worked on adventures of priscilla queen of the desert um and he essentially his big thing was the the real world quote unquote and and the matrix having different looks the matrix had that green tint of course also based on the green numbers that are flowing and everything also this is a this is another thing uh patterson did if you look in the backgrounds and scenes in the matrix there is always, always a uh, pattern of either tiles or windows hmm. or grid patterns or gotcha. just or just squares. Yes. The Matrix is about like order and confinement. So wherever you look, there's neat squares behind everything that's happening. Very cool. Whereas on the Nebuchadnezzar, it's just wires and tangles and organic like mess. And it's blue tinted. And uh, I actually found this interesting connection that I think caused the choice for the blue tint. Obviously, they needed to differentiate. So they said green and blue, which is kind of hilarious because, well, one thing is there's the red pill and the blue pill, right? So maybe there's something there. But um, it was also the Nebuchadnezzar is named after uh, Nebuchadnezzar II, who led a rebellion and established himself king of Babylon in 16. 20 BC. And when he had the gates of the original Babylon destroyed, he had them rebuilt in pure blue stone. So, what? yeah, so I think that actually that had an influence on this blue tint concept for the real world. That uh, I'm, mm, I did some digging. Feels like a reach. I did some digging. Feels like a reach. I think I think it's I think there's something there with that. And uh, it also had this like very patched up look, um, which I thought was really funny because they were making it sound like that was an original concept. And it's like, dude, the fucking um, uh, you know, because they were like, it wasn't all clean like in sh- ships like in Star Trek movies. But it's like, yeah, dude. But there was the fucking <laughs> Millennium Falcon did that like so long ago. They're like, you can see the wires coming out of it. And blah, blah. I'm just like, yeah, dude, the Millennium Falcon. Super did that. Um, oh, uh, another yeah. another key distinction that I really liked was that uh, in the Matrix, everyone is wearing uh, like leather and vinyl and all these like shimmering clean uh, clean clothes. 
Whereas on the Nebuchadnezzar, it's all cotton. It's all like mm. tattered, moth-bitten yep. textiles. Like all very just kind of um, textural, homely mm. sort of, this is reality. Uh, oh, this is an interesting thing that they were going to do. But mm. uh, it got it. The, either studio heads changed it or they just didn't want to bother with uh, having to explain it. But uh, the character Switch, you know, uh, the androgynous lady dressed in white, the one who like looked up when Joe Pantoliano went on a murder spree and was like, not like this you know that that lady uh originally her character was supposed to be a woman only in the matrix and mm. then a similarly androgynous man was going to mm. be her on the nebuchadnezzar mm. except like i think that idea got swept under the rug but hence the name switch and huh. learning about what we know about the wachowskis now it makes a lot of sense very much so so i said i would return to bullet time before we get into the music i just wanted to kind of say talk about some of the interesting things i learned about bullet time um one one of those is really just uh the the initial use of freeze motion actually happened back in the 19th century this guy edward moybridge he had a bet with another guy that um uh, they were in a is this dis- the horse thing yeah they were in a dis- it's the invention of the motion picture they were in a, a disagreement about whether the uh, uh, horse's feet would all touch the ground at the same time. So he had a bunch of cameras lined up uh, on a racetrack and he had them each click at a, at a different interval using um, taut rope. But it actually, it's the motion picture, but it's also the idea that you could put a bunch of cameras around the thing, have them go off sequentially and create uh, the idea of, of like slow motion or motion, you know? And that's essentially the basis for uh, what would later become bullet time. Now, bullet time is so just uh, in everything today, or, or it was for a while. Now it's sort of, you know, but it, it, it. Even the stuff that wasn't technically bullet time, the way that, like, they linger on moments by kind of messing with the um, with the frame rate and kind of, go, like, that Zack Snyder, like, slow mo, like, whoosh. Uh, that you that you associate with modern action filmmaking was based on the Matrix. There's so many key moments, even when they're not doing bullet time, where like uh, think about the uh, scene in the dojo where Morpheus is fighting Neo, and Morpheus does that amazing giant leap in the air. Uh-huh. They had to use high speed. You know, there's a lot of times where they end up using high speed cameras to get as much like time dilation out of these super key shots that they wanted. <laughs> and bullet time is the basis for. Uh, yeah, or, or I think bullet time, it, like the, uh, what it is, is kind of what the Matrix is as a film. It's just a combination of a bunch of ideas <laughs> that already existed, put together uh, and put through a computer and spit out as this new um, special effects concept. You know, they're taking the gun foo and the bullet dodging and time slicing that were happening in other films, and they just threw it all together to create bullet time and just did it in a very specific way. John Gaeta, of course, uh, we mentioned before, is kind of the man with the plan, and it just. To explain it a little bit it's a set of still cameras surrounding a subject the cameras fire off sequentially stop me if you've heard this one before jake and at the i mean if you've been to like a trade show in the past 20 years you've been in a booth with a bunch of cameras around you right and they're like make a silly jump (laughs) so they all fire off sequentially or at the same time um and in extreme slow motion how extreme they're so extreme that now most um uh films uh take place at a normal 24 frames Mm -hmm. uh 
where uh, uh, per second, whereas th- this bullet time sequence, it would be at 12,000 frames per second. It's like insanely slowed down. Um, and uh, for the Matrix 2, they would computer model the scenes ahead of time to understand what the path would be like, mm-hmm. and then they would shoot it with real actors using actual cameras. So it was all very... And, and by the way, they filmed extra like bullet dodging sequences on that rooftop um, with the famous bullet time sequence because they weren't actually sure <laughs> this would work. That's how fucking kind of crazy and fresh and nuts this, this uh, sort of filmic uh, technique was. So, And that's the thing and why the Matrix I feel like works so well is the same thing that why you know all they did was throw a bunch of stuff together in this like you know great package to sell to people and um I think that's what really bowled everybody over was it was like wait wait there's these amazing like philosophical deep concepts in an action movie that's nuts oh man and this feels like a comic book oh man and there's these like crazy new uh special effects techniques and you know just a completely different you know and it's all things that like existed before in a way just kind of all thrown together in this like wonderful little package. I mean, they package. did a lot of clever uh, stuff as well. Uh, the Lady in Red sequence, uh-huh. uh, you know, where they uh, are in a training simulation. They actually uh, put out a casting call in Australia for triplets and identical twins because huh. the idea was if you actually look at the scene again and really pay attention to the crowd, it's the idea that they, you know, whoever put together the simulation was in a rush and had to just copy and paste a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, the uh, the helicopter crash scene is such a complicated shot requiring CGI miniatures and a two scale building side that they actually placed concentric rings of explosives so you could get that cool like goosh 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 shockwave through the glass like you know they were solving a million little uh, you know they had the they had the shots they wanted they had the storyboards and then it was up to this incredibly talented crew to figure out how the fuck to make it work in in motion and even though i say the word mishmash it doesn't feel like a mishmash like the film feel unlike its sequels <laughs> you know what we're I'm not saying? even talking about we're the not, sequels and by the way we're not even talking about the sequels unlike its sequels this really felt like very controlled and each scene stood out and was interesting in its own right and nothing felt like necessarily super out of place or like it just felt very very well fashioned together um and it really worked for for a kid like me for sure i know you know critics would say oh you know they were dealing with all these interesting concepts and then it just turns into this big action movie but like for a high school kid like me like man it worked incredibly well to 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 throw yeah. a bunch of kind of uh at least pseudo deep con- uh, uh, you know, the, uh philosophical the concepts majority at of the me people with who watch some this, gun action you know the majority of the people who watch this didn't see drunken master they didn't see ghost in the shell they never read uh the invisibles like all the influences that went into this uh you know the wachowskis managed to get into a system and a, a a a media that was more easily consumed by the average person that was a blockbuster action movie. I'm gonna try to talk about some of the dude. I couldn't even get all of the influences down. There are so many influences in this film. Yeah, Alice in Wonderland with chasing the White Rabbit and all that stuff. Obviously, we talked about Ghost in the Shell. Grant Morrison straight up believes the Wachowskis plagiarized <laughs> the Invisibles to create the film, and I don't even know if they did because I think they I think that Ecto Kid plagiarized the Invisible. And then they just plagiarize Ecto Kid. It's all just a bunch of very, very alternative British men influencing <laughs> comics. Uh, there was like a shot early in the in the initial uh, Trinity escape sequence 
where uh, Trinity is like pointing her guns at an open window because she's like terrified that the agents are going to follow her. And she's like, get up, Trinity. Yeah. Get up. Which is such like a Frank Miller. Yeah. Like, like totally. Come on, old man. Get up. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, speaking of Trinity, the Christian doctrine of the Trinity, there's the, all the all the stuff with Neo's virgin birth, doubted himself, <laughs> prophecy did, of his coming. Did you know that Neo is an anagram for the one? <laughs> the uh, I know, right? It's just, I mean, hitting nails on the, on the head left and right, but I got, I, they must be mentioned. Of course, there's references to Buddhism, Gnosticism, Hinduism, Judaism. Um, there's a big, you know, the, the um, cyberpunk influences. Um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, e- even the film's y- use of the term Matrix was apparently taken from Gibson's Neuromancer. Even though Gibson says, himself says it's actually, a, the, the Matrix with its like Gnostic-like style is uh, actually more like Philip K. Dick's work. In fact, Philip K. Dick at a 1977 press conference literally said, we are living in a computer program reality and the only clue we have to it is when some variable is changed and some alteration in our reality occurs. Um, there's I mean, the... Uh, one of the most cla- like as soon as computers were invented uh, the philosophical question of how do you know you're not a brain in a jar yeah. is, was a very popular kind of kind of thing that came out in the 80s but you can even go back to uh, Kant or Kant Kant's, be- Kant's belief that in uh, the, the philosopher his belief that in order for one to know the truth one must choose to openly pursue the truth um, Descartes first meditation is a, a, a hypothesis that perceived the world might be an illusion to deceive us I mean th- you know it's yeah. th- th- these things have gone back a long long time another interesting one was uh and this is another just like i tried so hard to understand this on any level but i'll just at least give the basic of the matrixial gaze by a painter and clinical psychologist braca l uh, ettinger she she had this whole thing with the matrixial gaze where she's taking philosopher or uh, psychologist lacan's phallic gaze and instead using the uterus uh instead of the penis as a symbol of that is actually i don't know if a lot of people know this but the etymological root of the word matrix is matrice which is like old latin for womb for uterus so which this, considering all the goo babies yeah. in the movie makes even more sense than i think even they intend all the uteral fetus you know when he comes out of the goo uh, uh which was super gross dude that goo bath was such a mind fuck that freaked me out man because there was nothing that suggested you were in for goo bath i'm surprised nothing mentioned geiger in this because uh, now that I think about it, like that real world shit with the with like yeah. the tubes they're all in and stuff felt pretty kind of Geiger. Well, when you look at the uh, the Jeff Darrow drawings, they're like very distinct. Like they don't read as Geigerish to me. But yeah, those sets are like black plastic. And uh, fun fact: the goo baths when they were doing the test shot was causing hypothermia in the in the uh, te- in the stuntmen that were testing the rig out because it's the dense like I don't know maybe it was lube or whatever they were using to fill it with was just sucking body heat out of the subject yeah which considering the pod's original intention in the universe is kind of ironic yeah but don't worry when uh, Keanu made it they heated the goof yeah him. they heated the goof <laughs> from yeah yeah so and if you want to get more you know I I, I suggest uh, if you want to d- dig deeper into this stuff I mean it is just like an endless list of influences and there are just so many uh, interpretations online and and papers talking about the you know dissecting the the deeper meanings of the matrix but at the end of the day I think it's just literally like if they read a cool thing in a book <laughs> that could it all be sort of uh, interpreted into this film they threw it into this film Um uh, let's you know what let's let's uh, kind of top this off by uh, by just talking about like 
what what were key moments in the movie that you love? What are stuff that sticks with you? What makes it like kind of kind of a classic? Even though I did I did some like light polling of like uh, you have people that were not like uh, old ass men like us and like anyone that had watched The Matrix was because they had a nerdy older brother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the it, sequels I think killed a lot of like the cachet that the movie totally. had. Totally. For me, uh, it was a lot of the video gameness, rewatching the training sequence, like and just also the way that they uh communicated sheer power in the mm-hmm. punches and the hits. But the training sequence super especially like to have it be uploaded into his brain and then he just is like a superhuman. I know kung fu. Yeah, right? Like uh, that that was so cool and when they get in there and you first start seeing that kind of Wire motion um, th- that was that was so incredible to me but also especially when um, Mobius hops Lawrence Fishburne hops up Morpheus. into the Morpheus sorry hops up into um, into the air uh, and comes down and literally like busts the ground <laughs> with his fucking knee because that's how fucking hard he was going to get hit yeah. Keanu Reeves if he hadn't rolled away just little touches like that 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 opening action sequence just immediately pulls you in um, I really liked Hugo Weaving as Agent Smith oh, so like, good hearing him talk with his natural Australian accent is so weird because you associate it with, with that Walter Cronkite like uh, Mr. Anderson. Yeah. <laughs> How like he's very he's like this weird JFK man in black 60s era thing, which is kind of where the American superpower you know, it, it was a very cool, deliberate choice to have that be the agents of the Matrix. It felt like a new kind of villain, even though it was kind of playing off of, like, an older thing, you yeah. know? Um, and and uh, definitely... Oh, so many cops get shot in the fucking face in this yeah, movie. Yeah, dude, holy dude, shit. Dude, blue lives do not matter in the Matrix. <laughs> God, what else? Um, CGI doesn't really hold up. Uh, it actually, it, it kind of, it when they do stuff in the Matrix, like uh, when Neo falls off the building and then like he boings through the uh, pavement, like that effect looks so cheesy now, uh-huh. but because it's within the context of like, oh, this is a simulation, it almost like works. But then when the Sentinels are walking around, like that is like really PS2 era CGI. Yeah. It does not hold up as well, especially on an HD TV, which is how I watched it last night. Absolutely. That subway fight. And again, going back to the fact that like watching like stone get destroyed <laughs> underneath them. That's how powerful the fighting is, oh. is, is impactful. Uh, they, uh, both Neo and Agent Smith do the fucking uh, like digga, 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 machine gun punch, which is such an anime comic book totally, thing. Totally. And seeing that on screen is still a fucking Like a, a Dragon Ball thing. Yeah. Like that's, <laughs> um, you know, and, in the sequels, it turned into a Dragon Ball fight at the end. Obviously, the red pill, blue pill conversation is mm-hmm. one of the most memorable things and, and, and definitely immediately makes the viewer in their head go like what would what would I do mm-hmm. you know what would I do? what would uh what what would I do in that situation would I want to continue to uh live in blissful ignorance or what you know and uh I don't know I don't even know how I would necessarily answer that I mean the uh I wouldn't like I wouldn't go full Joe Pantoliano on humanity but like uh Oh, yeah, that was another thing that uh, when Agent Smith was like, oh, we made the Matrix heaven and like you people fucking rioted because you were like, this is wrong. That's you an need amazing. to suffer. That's that's an amazing uh, uh, little section. Um, oh, Tank. Tank is such a like a good heart of the movie, like the way he's always like reacting to like what's happening and how like he's he's a good cipher for the audience he has like a lot of charisma and i don't think he gets enough credit probably because the actor had a psychotic breakdown when he thought he was going to get caught uh cut out of the sequels and had a restraining order placed against him <laughs> 
Uh, and sadly enough, uh, definitely that feeling when Neo becomes the one and like flies up and, you know, I mean, and then of course sees oh, the matrix for, for what it is and everything. Uh, no, that, I mean, but, but just because in my head, I'm like, holy shit, we're going to get like at least another fucking rad <laughs> movie out of this. And, uh, yeah. That's- the, uh, like. The next step is up to you. And then fucking Rage Against the Machine just starts blaring. When that song played, like, because I was, like, a huge Rage fan back then, too. When this fucking song played (laughs) to close it out, and I stood up in the theater, and I was just like, yeah! Like, it was just so, this movie gets it! Um, Was just so wonderful. And that can lead us into a little bit uh, with the music and everything, too, uh, which uh, I know we didn't talk uh, a ton. I mean, it was just the soundtrack. If you want the 90s in a bottle, uh, music-wise, just Late 90s, like America, pre-9-11, top of the charts, like, we got this, and then, like, boof. Marilyn Manson, Ministry, Prodigy, Rob Zombie, Deftones, Rage Against the Machine. <laughs> like, this was the fucking, the edgy, edgy 90s <laughs> that we all know and loved. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was definitely a strong memory. Just just having that movie end and being like, wow, that was two hours. I did remember feeling that way. <laughs> being like, whoa, two hours just happened? Yeah. Are you fucking kidding? That felt like... 30 minutes. Um, and it was one of the first times I had seen a movie where I had felt like it, it went by in like 30 minutes. The spoon bending scene, of course. That kid is way whiter than I remember having watched <laughs> it again. This is just a bald ass white kid. I remember that feeling like, wow, this was like some, kind of maybe the slower part of the movie. And even this was interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, I definitely kind of had that that feel. Um, yeah, I mean, there's tons of. I mean, back in back when it came out, um, and especially once it came out on uh, DVD and VHS, rentable at your local blockbuster, um, you could uh, like I, I I could like probably think through every single scene in the movie. Yeah, because I had seen I just like watched it. It was just that movie you would just throw on at any time. It was like Fight Club and all that other stuff. And again, Fight Club Seven, <laughs> all those movies just had that same like gritty. And I'm glad we're past it cinematically, but it was definitely you know the trope of the day defined that era of just that gritty, nasty. Everything was just but like, also visually th- deliberate. Yes, every shot was there for a reason and. You could watch it almost with the sound off because each visual was like so effectively communicating what was supposed to be conveyed. Um, yeah. What uh, about you? You got anything? You got any other uh, delicious memories? Oh, the for lobby us? scene, the fucking lobby scene. Like right, like it, with a modern lens, it's kind of weird seeing a white guy in a trench coat with two SMGs yeah. killing a bunch of cops. Totally. But at the time, it was fucking it was so radical. Cool. Just Uzis in each hand, just blasting in every direction. Just like at this point, well, actually, funnily enough, like doing the, cartwheels and then picking up a machine gun. Like the last action movie that um, has really kind have done that since the matrix i kind of feel like that showed me that wowed me with the action scenes and i was like wow this is unlike anything else is actually hilariously enough john wick and john wick 2 yeah which is keanu reeves starring uh, action movies but like it's really been kind of since the matrix that i've actually like uh, until john wick that i was like oh man these I, like i love these action sequences they're so memorable and like they're so well shot and you know they're different they're they feel different um i mean i mean it is Keanu Reeves is kind of an intense guy, and uh, the fact that he's stuck with this Matrix stunt team for so long is kind is incredible. You know, it's the same people that helped him with John Wick, uh, that samurai movie that nobody saw. Um, it, it's actually it's kind. Uh, this is 
kind of uh, kind of a bummer kind of a bummer but uh in the uh behind the scenes footage of the first matrix he is just like this enthusiastic guy he is always smiling he's always just like super jazzed he's joking with the crew and he's kind of like bill and ted keanu reeves at that point (laughs) and then after the matrix came out uh his family basically uh fell apart uh they lost a child and then his wife was in a car accident and like in the footage of the sequels he's like very he's like keanu yeah, like he's the intense kind of guy. He that becomes John, he straight up becomes John Wick a little bit. <laughs> I mean, but like, and when you think about how like the people closest to him, because these films were so involved and required so much training and so much trust between the teams, it's like it's kind of you know the Matrix kind of became this formative thing in his life, and that stunt team became kind of an ersatz family to him. It's hmm. it's 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 very it's very bizarre seeing uh, the footage of Keanu Reeves like. While still filming the his matrix. transformation, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I I think I'm I think I got it all out. I uh, yeah. Uh, if you're gonna rewatch it, like don't ex- it is super dated. It's kind of like a weird nostalgia trip. I don't know if it's gonna like. I don't know if it's gonna be like a perpetual classic or it's gonna be just one of those movies of the decade, like Sixteen Candles or like Hackers or like you know one of those just like campy kind of deals just because it so accurately represents a time and place and attitude. I'm excited to um, uh, talk about this and maybe a, a later, maybe sort of some kind of, I don't know, bonus content. Um, but I will be watching the matrix with Lexi and she's never seen it. Ooh. Like I'm going to be watching it with her like this weekend. I'm very interested to get her reaction. Let me know how that goes. Yeah. Right. I, I hadn't even realized or I would have made sure that we had watched it before this episode, but I hadn't even realized till we talked about it today. And she was like, you know, I've never seen it. And I was like, Oh, that would it's so good. So we'll probably do a little check in and and kind of talk about talk about that. Um, and let me know if she has thing. like feelings for Carrie Ann Moss. Okay, because she was like up there with Xena and yeah. Dana Scully in she terms was of like on fire. She was electric <laughs> in those. Um, and that whole first sequence with her is just immediately is so dominant and confident. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, yeah, I think I, I believe that's it. That's our episode on The Matrix. This was awesome. I'm so glad we got to do yeah, this. This was one. a lot of fun. I have, you know, especially the, this one, man. I love the ones where I don't necessarily have the emotional or like love, love for t- today, but I have that nostalgia <laughs> so deep. And, and for for this film, so it's it's always fun to revisit and actually try to understand it, get a perspective on these things, you mm-hmm. know, instead of just being like, "Yeah, major rules." <laughs> that would have been a weird hour of radio. <laughs> major rules. Oh, yeah. when guy punch, but then he block punch, but then he puts his hand down and hits his throat, and he's like, Mean man with the mean. Oh, also sunglasses. Can Joe Pantoliano, you won't win. You won't win, Joe Pantoliano. Can we just say the word sunglasses? I feel like Ray Bans yeah. and like whatever else like got such a huge boost off of this movie because like everyone had cool sunglasses. I actually have a pair of those Morpheus clip nose glasses, <laughs> and they hurt after like five minutes. They're very <laughs> annoying. <laughs> um, all right, cool. So uh, if you uh, want to. Uh, Get, help us out a little bit. If you write a uh, review and uh, rate us on iTunes, you can follow me on Twitch and Hold Knitters Ho. I'm streaming all the damn time, Jake. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Best Jake Young, and I, uh, you know, check out uh, Darkly.com and the Drawfee channel, where occasionally uh, my dumb head will be there. <laughs> awesome, and uh, have a good one. There is no spoon. <laughs> Ringo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Rack your look for spring at Nordstrom Rack and save up to 60% on brands you love. Rag & Bone, Vince, Marc Jacobs, Adidas, Joes, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. Score new dresses, denim, sandals, designer bags, and sunglasses, plus updates for the family and home. Get your spring on for less, up to 60% less, today at your Nordstrom Rack store. What will you find? Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.